If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter number 10. As I tell you a little bit about us, the Lord has uh, indeed called us to missions. We've been church planners since we've graduated uh, West Coast. My wife graduated in 2001, and uh, many of you have had a chance to meet her, and you're asking yourself the same question everyone else does. How did that guy get that girl? So I want to make a challenge to you men right up front. Pray. Because that's how it happens. And uh, you need an evidence of the grace of God. You just look at what the Lord did for me, giving me my sweet and wonderful wife. I remember on this very stage, I received a death threat from Dr. Getz right over there. As I received my Bible, and he says, if you hurt her, I'll come find you. What he didn't know is Dr. R gave me a similar comment. And Dr. Chapel looks at me and shakes my hand. Everybody else is getting, oh, we're so proud of you. God's going to use you. Dr. Chapel says, you're taking my favorite staff member. I don't like you right now. And I'm thinking, all you can do is smile. And I praise God they love me. Amen. If nothing else, they'll pray for Cassie. But no, after graduation, uh, they've been dear friends to us throughout these years. We planted our first church. My brother and I, he had never been to Bible college, and he asked me to pray about helping him start a church. I said, sure. So we started the very first church, saw over 200 people trust Christ, and the Lord blessed. We turned it over to another pastor, and and, and God worked, and it was, it was a wonderful time. My wife and I then replanted uh, another church, uh, the first church I'd ever pastored, and that was an experience. It was different, and uh, we survived it. That's kind of one of those things. We made it through. We saw many people trust the Lord, but, uh, uh, but it wasn't where the Lord had us long term. And so after being there, uh, we prayed about what to do, and my brother called me and said, would you help me start another church? Uh, and we like church planting, and that's what both of our hearts were for. And uh, Paul and Silas went together, and Paul and Barnabas, and we said, well, why not? We'll, we'll team plant another church. And we thought we would just be there for a few months, maybe a few years, to kind of help him get off the ground. And uh, this February, we'll celebrate 11 years there. And I tell you, there's nothing more awesome than being sent out of a church that you start. That's just great. We just paid off 25 acres of land. We're building our very first building after 10 years and getting an opportunity to uh, just watch God work and bless. And, you know, it's not a huge church, but the Lord's blessed. We've seen people saved and have about 150 that come, and it's just growing every single week. And uh, it's, it's great. This past Wednesday, before we came, I was there and uh, had an opportunity. I went to the altar, and a guy that I had led to the Lord and been through discipleship came down to the altar to pray with me. You know, that was a good day to see that they're faithfully serving the Lord and they're faithfully in it. And you realize, you know what, this thing's going to continue long after you're gone. So my wife and I, we surrendered. I was preaching the Sunday night before one of our missions conferences as I was our missions director the whole time. And uh, the Lord just stopped me and he said, uh, Isaiah 6, 8 was one of the verses I was going to preach. And it says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall go for us and who shall I send? Whom shall I send? And it says, here am I, send me. But he stopped me there and said, don't preach it if you don't mean it. And I said, Lord, I surrender to you in 1999, my freshman year of college. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'm just as much yours today as I've ever been. And trust me, that's different to say when you have three kids and you're comfortable and everything's going well. But I said, Lord, I'm yours. And I knew in that moment what he was calling us to do. And I tell you, it's been the single greatest thing that we've ever done. People often ask me, what do I think about deputation? Uh, I am not a telemarketing kind of person, so I hate phone calls. 
I, I really don't even like texting. My wife knows that I don't even like talking on the phone to her. I love her. She's sweet. She's wonderful. Best thing but outside of Jesus Christ that ever happened to me. But I'd rather get a text. Let's just keep this to the minimum, okay? But you know what deputation is? It's a front row seat to see how big God is. Because you step out on faith and it's just all Him. And I tell you, that's where it's at. You know, Paul said that I may know Him and the fellowship of His sufferings. So we always want to know Him, but we forget that little line in there. It's the fellowship of sufferings. That's when it gets good with God. And I tell you, I don't feel worthy to be up here, and that's okay. I'm not worthy to be saved either. But I really feel bad that I have to follow Dr. Sisk. You know, he is a, a hero of mine. When I came to West Coast, it was very early in the missions uh, program. And as a missions major, we got to have Dr. Sisk. It felt like one-on-one, just pouring his heart that first year he would come in and, and just pour out to us missions. And uh, what a blessing it is. And I thank you, Dr. Sisk, for your testimony. And I appreciate that. Brother Lester and I have been in a contest to lose the most hair. But we have both agreed it's what happens when you're that smart. It just, it just happens, uh, and so there it is. You know, All you guys who are losing your hair, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. They say hair loss is from an overproduction of testosterone. That just means we were too manly for our hair, and it's okay. <laughs> and, um, but we're good. And uh, I have to say, where's Emily Butler? I have to do this. Miss Emily. March the 2nd, right? Getting the 3rd? Getting married. That's awesome. She just became an aunt yesterday. Uh, from her sister Mandy, but her dad made the single greatest difference in my life at Victory Baptist Church in Loganville, Georgia. A teenager who had been way away from the Lord, had a friend of mine shot and killed, and it turned our lives around. I got in church, and I just wanted to serve. And he gave me the Marine Corps version of how to do the ministry, how to serve the Lord as my Sunday school teacher and assistant pastor there, Brother Tim Butler. He is a, a great friend of mine. And I want to challenge you guys. One day you'll be in a place like that. Look for some young man to do for them what these great men have done for you and those that have sent you here. The Bible says here in 2 Samuel chapter number 10, in verse number 6, it says, And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob, the Syrians of Zobah, and the Syrians uh, and 20,000 footmen uh, of the king of Makkah and a thousand men and Ishtab of Ishtab, 12,000 men. Just so you all know why I'm struggling to read. I've gotten contacts recently and I think I need bifocals, but I refuse to do it. So you all pray for me. Verse number seven, it says, And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering end of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and of Ishtab and of Makkah were by themselves in the field. And when Joab saw the front of the battle was against him, before him and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel and he put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of good courage, 
Let us play the men for our people, for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before you, Lord, unworthy, so undeserving. And Lord, I must thank you for salvation so sweet, so real. I pray that for a few moments, Lord, you would preach through me. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say and the spirit to say it in. Lord, I pray that you would open the ear of the hearer and the heart of the listener, that today we might leave changed better than we came. Almighty God, use this hour for thy glory's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in this passage, I want to to look at a couple of parts of this passage that I believe will help us uh, understand a little bit about world missions. Then I want to end with a couple of challenges from this passage that I believe we need. I want you to know right now, don't blame my homiletics on Dr. Getch, okay? I willingly know that I don't do anything he taught me to do except use the right Bible, all right? But I will at least try to alliterate so that Brother Lester doesn't have a conniption and we'll be all right. But as we look in this passage here, I want to look first at the battlefield. You know, we see that this battlefield that that Joab has come to, uh, the Ammonites have have seen that David doesn't like them. It wasn't that they they didn't wear deodorant, okay? It was that he didn't like them. They stank before him. Some of you are feeling under conviction already. You should take care of that. I've been in college dorms. But when they saw this, they, they saw that he was unpleased with them. They said, fine, we're going to get some mercenaries from Syria. And they brought them down. And so David says, Joab, I'm going to send you out there. And I want you to go out there and I want you to fight them. And Joab, as he stood there, he looked at this battlefield. He realized that this wasn't David and Goliath. This wasn't man on man. This was a battle. This was bigger than any one person. This was for the people of God. We look at this battlefield, something you need to be mindful of. That when you're in this battlefield of the Christian life, and by the way, when you got saved, you got in it. But when you surrendered to the ministry, that target got bigger. Because see, he has desired to have thee. He might sift you as wheat. Something you need to know about a battle is that the enemy is real. And that enemy is the devil. It's not the guy beside you, it's the devil. And I can tell you firsthand, he will come after you. When you're pastoring your first little church and you go to the doctor's office and you hear that your daughter has less than six months to live, it gets real. And it gets real quick. See, and then you have to go home with your crying wife and talk to her and say, you know what? She's God's. She always has been. Whatever he wants, we're going to be happy with it. But the flip side of that is that she's 13 years old now, and that first doctor was an idiot. Because <laughs> he didn't know my God. You know where you're planting your second church? You know, they say when you turn 30, start going downhill. 
Dr. Gibson, I turned 30, I lost my gallbladder and found out I had cancer the first time in the same year. I don't think that's what they meant. I got robbed. I mean, you know, I'm thinking, oh, it'll start being sore when you get out of bed. It's like, man, alive, what's all this stuff? Had a big cancer scare at one time, and it's when Brother Schmidt was going through his cancer scare, big encouragement to me. Do you know what? Go to the doctor one day, and all of a sudden it's gone. He said, whatever it was, I, I don't know, it's gone. I was like, I don't care what it was. It's God. You can name it if you want to, but that doesn't really bother me. I wasn't that attached to it. It's the Lord. <laughs> but that battle's real. That enemy's real. And listen, Bible college is fun. It is a great place to meet friends for a lifetime to study the Word of God in a protected environment. And hey, and remember this, that protected environment, that hedge of protection, that's a wall to keep the enemy out, not to keep you in. Get your head right about that. So the enemy's real, but also the consequences are real. You know, when Moses and Aaron were seeing the plague go across the people, he said, go get the censer and run out. And it says that Aaron stood between the dead and the living. You are the defense for a lost and dying world that will burn in hell if we're not in our place. Look, this battlefield's not a game. We heard it referenced what Brother Roloff used to say. And as a kid, my dad used to play that sermon over and over and over again. I had the privilege of growing up in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And I even went to Forest Hills Baptist Church uh, Christian School when Dr. Hudson uh, was there. And we could hear him all the time growing up. And it was great to have these men of God. But you know, those old men of God, they used to preach something. And what they preached was is that this is real. The battle is real. It's not a game. It's not fun. It's, about, it's not about trying something new. It's not about uh, trying to be cool. It's not about social media. It's a, a real battle. And the consequences are real. See, it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt. But I want you to know you'll get hurt. For a short time, as uh, we were bivocational as we were church planners, and I was a police officer for the city of Atlanta Police Department. That was a lot of fun. I mean, it's great. If you're in the ministry, I challenge everyone, you should go punch people and get paid for it because it helps. It really does. When you work with kids and teenagers for a while, you'll understand. You want to choke them all. And, uh, and so, no, we, uh, I, I call it gunpowder therapy. And, uh, but I learned a lesson uh, as being a police officer. You don't win every fight. Sometimes it's a 110-pound lady that beats you with an inch of your life, and you're thinking, help, I need help. You don't want to tell them from who, but it happens. Well, when you get out there serving the Lord, it's going to happen. It's going to hurt. But if you don't keep going, those consequences are far greater for a lost and dying world. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. If you quit, they die. It's that simple. John 3, 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. John 14, 6, we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. You've heard it said a thousand times, how shall they hear except they be sent? So not only do we see the battlefield, 
But we see the battle plan. Joab says, I'm going to take the choicest men. Now, if you've never read about David's mighty men or listened to a message about that, you should because that is my favorite passage of the Bible. I mean, you've got a guy who takes a spear and kills 600 people. I just got to say, what's number 600 thinking? I mean, at some point, it's time to just call it. Say, I'm out of here. No. He's standing on a pile of my friends. I'm done. You got another guy who fights so long his hand claves to the sword. And then my favorite, Shammah, who just defends his pea patch. Just takes a stick and whoops him. That's good southern stuff right there. My grandmother used to do that to me. But you know, you look at this battle plan and he says, I'm going to get the best I can get. And I'm going to go face the mercenaries. He said, Abishai, my brother, who is also a general, these are the, the nephews of David. He said, I want you and you go fight the army of the Amorites. See, the battle plan was Acts 1-8, both at the same time. And so Joab, he says, uh, he says look, I'm going to go take these guys. And look, if I'm fighting over here and you see I'm struggling, you come help me. And you go fight over here. And if you're struggling, I'll come help you. See, that's the way this whole thing was supposed to work out. Because this harvest field that we have, we're in a battle for the souls of men. And the truth is, you know what? We're going to go to the mission field. And I'm going to be in Argentina. And I'm going to do battle there. And if it's a little too hard for me, I hope you'll come help me. And you're going to be here, maybe somewhere in the United States. And it might be a little too hard for you. And we'll come help you. But we're in this thing together. Both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Both. So not only did they attack it on both fronts, but they assisted each other. One thing about battle, Brother Lancaster could speak to this. I learned this because in the police academy, our instructor was a Marine. I grew up in an Army family. My dad was a drill sergeant during Vietnam. And uh, when he got out of the Army and began to raise us, he forgot he got out of the Army. And, uh, but I learned this thing about rank and order, and discipline. There's no room in a military conflict for freelancing and just doing your own thing, is there? You got to stick to the plan, and you got to work together. So don't think that just because you're in the battle that, okay, now I'm out on my own, and I'll just do it my way. I love what Brother Lancaster said. These general orders don't change. Stick with them. Stick with them. Look, there might be a lot of people that are trying new stuff. That's fine. But it stays right here. Dr. Chapel has been an innovator in reaching people for Christ for as long as I can remember. But it never gets outside of this. Anytime you come up with a new idea because I need to reach the culture, you missed it if it's not in this book. Last well, saw the Bible says... Come all things to all men that I may reach some. A boat doesn't sink because it's in the water. It sinks when the water gets inside of it. Don't let the world in. You're to be in the world, not of the world. Stay with the book. But they were in there together, and they're fighting, and they're assisting one another.
I don't reach Argentina without churches that maybe some of you will pastor someday helping us get there. That's how it works. When you're here in the States, listen, don't shoot each other in the foot. How dumb would it be to be in the middle of a battle and I got one guy left beside me and I pull my gun out and I shoot him because I want all the glory for the victory. Not your victory, not your glory. It's his kingdom. The battle we're in, it wasn't Joab's battle. He fought for the king. The plan was that we're going to go in and we're going to be all out on an attack. We're going to fight over here. You're going to fight over there. We're going to do whatever it takes to work together to win. Because the fields are white already under harvest. He said, send forth laborers. Pray. Send forth laborers into his harvest. I'm telling you this morning. We need more laborers. But we need soldiers. We need people that are willing to get in, the, get in the fray, get in the fight. Look, this isn't a sideline thing. We've grown up in spectator lifestyle. We text sitting beside each other. How dumb. I told my daughter, if you ever text me from your bedroom again, I will throw you and the phone out the window. <laughs> we got a little bitty house. You can yell from one end to the other. We're in the south. Nobody cares. What are we going to do, wake up the cows? I mean, seriously. But we've grown up in this spectator life and we've distanced ourselves from the reality of what has to take place. That's to get in the fight. So we see the battlefield and the battle plan. I want to challenge you with this, Galatians 6.1. You see a brother overtaken in a fault. You which are spiritual. Restore such a one. Somebody may not always do it like you do. Get them out of the mud and back in the fight. Don't be too proud to get dirty. Because we need everybody we can in this fight. People are on their way to hell if we don't do something. I stood in San Martin Plaza in the city of Cordoba, and I was taking a panoramic picture, and about halfway through, God smoked my heart when I realized that every person in that picture was on their way to hell. See, I thought I wanted to go to Argentina till then. And then God broke my heart, and I felt what it was to know that I have to go. Because without the light, they'll die in darkness. I used to tell my little four-year-old niece, Callie, she was four, now she's sophomore in college. I used to get down on my knees in the very first children's church I ever did. I said, Callie, if we don't win the world to Christ, nobody else will. I tell you today, if we don't win the world to Christ, nobody else will. Well, there's other colleges, we're not worried about them. Well, there's other people, we're not worried about them. We're in this room today. If we don't win the world to Christ, no one else will. So the challenge that Joab gave at the end of this, I like it. He said, let us play the man for our people, for the cities of our God. There's cities all over this world. Nineveh's 
that needs somebody to go. Those are his people too. They just need the gospel. I want to challenge you today to play the man. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 3 and 4, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I want to challenge you this morning to get off the sideline, to stop just being satisfied with what you've gone on in your life every day, every day, every day, the same thing, and get in the fight. It's real. It is a need. It's got to happen. Don't be satisfied with being on the bench. Get in the game. Say, hey, I'm not an all-star. Who cares? These men know me. The fact that God uses me surprises me as much as it does them. Dr. R., you know it's true. I remember sitting in Dr. R.'s office. He called me impetuous. and I'd have got mad if I knew what that meant. <laughs> had to go look it up. By the way, that's impulsive in case he ever throws that on you. And it's true. God says it. I'm going to do it. Doesn't matter. Because I'm in it. I'm debtor. I owe him. That's why it's your reasonable service. So what is my reasonable service? To charge into a hail of gunfire or fiery darts from the wicked one with your shield of faith and the sword of the Lord and go to work. After being a police officer, I became a firefighter. I was bored. I actually hurt my knee as a police officer and couldn't do that anymore, so... I need another near-death experience, my wife says. Hey, everybody's made different. And people always used to say, why do you keep picking jobs where when everybody else is running out, you're running in? And I just said, both spiritually and physically, if God will allow me the ability to save a soul, to save a life, I'm willing to sacrifice mine for theirs. You say, oh, that must be some noble thing. No, I got that from Jesus. Because he saw I was without hope. And he left everything and became sin for me. How can I do less than my best? So not only do I want to challenge you with that, get in the fight, but finish well. Joab had this great plan. He fought well. There was a great victory. And after this, Joab began to mess things up. He started fighting his battles. He killed his, his king's friend, Abner. He killed his own uncle. And then he killed Absalom, the king's son. See, when Joab ended his life, Joab was as mighty a warrior as any one listed in Scripture. But you will not find his name in the list. Of David's mighty men. Where you do find him is cowering at the horns of the altar. As Solomon does exactly what his father told him is the first thing to do is go kill Joab. You can't trust him. Joab was a mighty warrior. He fought diligently. He did well. But then he faded. There's the story of Bishop Latimer and Bishop Ridley in England as they were 
being martyred. And Bishop Latimer had already denounced the Lord one time, and he said, I'll never do it again. And he got his opportunity as they're getting ready to be burned at the stake. Bishop Ridley's brother had brought some gunpowder for them to put around their neck to make it get over with a little quicker. Well, the problem was they put a lot of green wood around Ridley's stake. And as they were burning, the flames got higher and Latimer's about to die and Ridley is suffering because the fires won't get high enough. They're burning the bottom half of his body and he's still alive. He's begging God for mercy to just let me burn, let me burn. Latimer looks over to him and he said, Mr. Ridley, be of good comfort and play the man. We shall this day light a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. See, they ended well. No one may ever know your story but Jesus. But if you're doing it for anybody but Him, you're missing it. Because it's all about Him. Every day, it's just about Him. If you've been sitting on the sidelines and you've been coasting through your Christian life, and I know many of you have, I've been where you are. It's easy hearing the Bible all the time. It's easy. Your parents aren't here. You had them fooled for years. All these people don't know you. It's easy to keep coasting. I want to challenge you today. Stop coasting. Get in gear. Get in the fight. And finish strong. We've had great people that have been in this Bible college that have went out and decided to do something different. Don't be like that. You come out of this thing straight. You come out of it hard. You come out of it fast and you don't quit. You keep digging till you get to the end. Dr. Sis says, work and ministry through the fourth quarter. He's living it for you. You can't have any excuse. This man preaches more than anybody else that I know of. And he's in his last quarter of life, but he's not yet quit. Take that example. Take that fire. Put it in your gut and say, I'm going to finish strong. Not to impress anybody else, but that you might war a good warfare. Fight a good fight. And be pleasing to him that has called you to be a soldier.